hello and welcome to Box Cutters episode 128. It feels good to get back to television. My name is Josh Canal. To my left, our Ross for the day while Ross is away on paternity leave. Mr. Wilbur Wilde. Thanks very much, Josh. Lovely to be here filling in for uh, Ross, is it? Yes, yes. Paternity leave? Paternity leave. What's he expecting? A, a child. Has he had anything yet? Uh, I've got no text. I'm, I'm guessing no. Oh. And that voice to my right is Brett Cropley. Good evening, viewers. Uh, yeah, no texts. I, I'm, ge- I'm guessing no. And, and uh, you know, Deidre has been ready to pop for a while. I, I'm wondering what's happening. What's She's clearly not eating enough curry, going for enough walks. Not enough sex. I, I, don't, I don't like to pry. This, this is what's supposed to bring it on, mm-hmm. of course, yes. uh, amongst other things. No, no, no. That's, it's what starts it off. That starts uh, it no, off and, also, and completes the process, I think. As, as used as comedy gold in Friends. <laughs> well, yes. This is Box Cutters. It is all about television. And yes, we do have Mr. Wilbur Wilde in the studio. We'll be talking to him at length later on in the show, but he will be co-host all the way through. We've also got a crap TV. I'm going to do a review of J-Pod, a Canadian television show. Sounds like something from Triple J on the ABC. Yeah, it's not. Miff Warhurst isn't involved at all? No. No? Not at all. Uh, especially because she's not a, a Triple J anymore, and uh, and and Triple oh, that's J Canadian now. Triple J. Ah, I yeah. didn't even realise there was a Canadian Triple J, Brett, with your made-up information. Uh, we've uh, also got the long-awaited answer to the box cutters quiz, and a winner of that quiz. Now, now, Wilbur, you you weren't here. You don't know. We we had a very difficult question. Would you mind reprising that for me, please, Josh? Sh- sure. Uh, the, uh, the the question was. Which Melbourne actor was uh, appeared on television on the one night on three <laughs> different three different programs? Yeah, four different episodes, all first run, all within three hours of each other. It's a great question. Yeah, yeah, that was sent in by uh, one of our listeners, a listener from California, in fact. So you'll get the answer to that later on when we talk about the quiz. There's also a whole bunch of pork. And, as always, we'll kick things off with the Box Cutters News. No, Brett, Brett, Brett. How many times? 128 <laughs> times we've done this. 128 times. I think I, that's and the I first say, time I've got that wrong. And actually. I say, let's kick things off with the Box Cutters News. And that happens. In further evidence that we are right about torrents being good for television because they open up television shows to other markets where they can become popular, Underbelly has been sold to many, many foreign markets. Fox International has acquired the rights. This uh, comes from Channel 9 press release, media release, during the week. Fox International have acquired the rights and... uh, the uh, channels and UK-based distributor Portman Film and Television are going to be distributing the 13 one-hour episodes throughout the UK, Italy, the Balkans, Korea, Pan-Asia. I don't know where that is. I don't know where Pan-Asia is. Mm. I- I'm guessing they just mean across Asia. 
Portugal, Russia, South Africa, and Turkey. Funnily, not Greece. Pan-Asia could include India, could it not? Uh, yes, it, it, it could. Because there are something in the order of 400 million cable subscribers in India. Maybe it's 100 million cable subscribers, but they have an audience of 400 million because everybody just hotwires it. Right. Just takes it off the telephone pole, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that leads to a situation where Molly Meldrum with Humdrum over the years has become a huge, huge star in India to the extent where he gets mobbed. Really? How? Like, where are they showing Humdrum in in India? It'd be on, what is it? Not Ostar, but like Star TV or one of the cable providers over there. Have just bought some Australian product of uh, music reviews of, of many years ago and... Molly's a huge star. I mean, do you think about who he interviews? And the market in India is certainly no less uh, uh, receptive to Madonna and David Bowie. And well, that's true. No. Uh, anyway. That's, uh, no, but f- f- but apropos point. cable television and the popularity or potential popularity of Underbelly in India, I think it's a great show. I, I, I'm wondering if they have the same rules about television in India... And, and on cable in India that they have about their movies because there's uh, th- there are a lot of rests in Underbelly. I, I know you haven't seen it, Willa, because you you live in Victoria and mm, uh, mm, and, and mm. therefore could could not have possibly seen Underbelly. No, I've seen them all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I travel a lot. You know. Oh yeah, no, fair uh, enough. It's yeah. been on planes, hasn't it? It's yeah. on Qantas now. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, yeah, lot a lot of breasts in Underbelly. So I, I'm wondering if they'd be able to show that in in India. Without causing outrage, I'm not sure, but cable uh, is most probably... Well, I have no idea whether it's censored. Yeah. To the same extent, if they're showing a Britney Spears or Beyonce film clip, is that uh, kosher? <laughs> it's terrible. Have... <laughs> I don't know. Is there kosher in India? I, d- I don't know. What, what, is, what is the Hindu equivalent of, of kosher? Email us, hooray, at boxcutters.net. But anyway, isn't that great? That is great for, for Channel 9 because they've lost a lot of money by not being able to show it in Victoria. I mean, there's, they, they've lost huge potential revenue. 1.2 million on average around Australia without the Melbourne audience. This could have been in excess of... It would have been, let's right. just say it safely, in excess of 2 million viewers per week. Mm-hmm. Easily. And justifiably so. It's a fantastic series. And, that's, and, and you know, that, that is... Olympic opening ceremony numbers. Oh yeah, uh, so so Channel Nine have lost a lot of money from this. It, it is great that an in-house production like that can be sold internationally and make a bit of coin for them. One of the stars of Underbelly, Frankie J. Holden, who plays the head cop of the Piranha Task Force. We worked together in rock and roll performances, and we played at the zoo on. March the 9th, a zoo twilight. It was hilarious. We had a great time in front of 8,000 people. And there was a bit of a show of hands that happened where I said, now Frank has been fantastic in Underbelly, don't you think? And I reckon a third of the audience (laughs) at the Melbourne Zoo went, yes! (laughs) So apropos torrents being good for TV, yeah. Yeah, of course they are.
Of course they are. Brent, what have you got? Uh, NBC in the United States have announced that ER will be finishing up uh, after their 15th and final season. I think they should have taken the, that it was named the final season as, as an indicator <laughs> that perhaps it was time to finish that. Uh, the, it's uh, returning in the States uh, this week for uh, the remaining six episodes. Um, of the 14th season. Of the 14th season, uh, which was shortened because of, because of the writer's strike. Um, and next season <coughs> will be the final one. Uh, there's, there's a couple of uh, the actors in doubt as to whether they'll be back for that 15th. Now, this is ER is a really, really interesting scenario because this is a show that was dying. It was, it was dead in the pants. Mm-hmm. And then they get John Stamos... Um, who's very likable. Who, who, who is who was great as Uncle Joey as well. Massive, massive cheese factor there, uh, but, but also and, that gives him some cachet. He and was, you know, pe- was, people, people might not remember him from You Again with Jack Klugman, but he he was all right in that too. But then but, he was also in uh, All About Jake or something Jake, where he he was trying to find the the love of his life, which was quite. See that that I don't remember. Nice. It was but, on it was on late night here. But uh, but still, you wouldn't expect that John Stamos would come onto a show. And uh, and really just boost its ratings like it did. Wil- Wilby, you know a lot of drummers. Oh, yes. A, a, a lot of drummers. Mm-hmm. How many drummers do you know that could do that to a show? I worked with a drummer for uh, 16 years, full time, and he managed to do a pretty good job and also returned to Channel 7 and hosted Dancing with the Stars for, I think, seven consecutive <laughs> seasons. And, you know, I mean, hey, who knew? <laughs> but that's... Fair point, well made. <laughs> you know, he played drums. Lots and, and lots of times. There was, and uh, kept on playing drums. The, Came back and played with every... No. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't stop. <laughs> uh, you know, that was, uh, that was, that was one of the rumours about w- why he got uh, sacked off uh, of Dancing with the Stars, because mm-hmm. they, they wouldn't let him play drums any... Like, and... Uh, well, look. Whether look, I I think that it was high time for uh, Daryl just to make his own decision. I don't know whether he got sacked. There may have yeah. been something it's- to do with a variety show pilot that never happened. That was perhaps mm, yes. dangled as a carrot for the eighth season, and then perhaps that was the thing. Yeah. Well, that's. Uh, well, there was some word that the season before was uh, they they allowed him to release an album, and uh, that was that was the carrot for that season. <clears throat> Which um, you got your copy, didn't you? Uh, uh, I got five. Mm-hmm. I, I got five, and uh, and uh, you know what? It was just so in case good. the first one wore out. Yeah, it, it was so good that I gave them all away, and now I don't have any at all. Oh. I know, and you can't buy it, Josh. It's important to let things go. Yeah, I think I think so. <laughs> Much like that news item, let let it go. But no, actually, I, I can't let it go because John Stamos uh, was in you again uh, with with Jack Klugman, and he was also drama for the Beach Boys for uh, for, for a no, short while. I did not this, know that. This is why I bring up the drama thing. It's it's not just I'm just picking things out of uh, out of thin. It's he is a drummer, and he was drummer for the Beach Boys. Apropos being a drummer for the Beach Boys, do you remember a movie called The Ruttles? Yes. Okay, starring, well, one of the four Ruttles was, in fact, another drummer for the Beach Boys, a guy named Ricky Fatar. Right. Okay, Ricky came out in here and produced uh, Tim Finn's Escapade album and also worked with Renee Geyer and produced an album of hers, the title of which I 
don't remember. But there's a little bit of a synergy right there in terms of famous acting, singing, dancing Beach Boy drummers. Yeah. And there was a, there was an episode of uh, of you again where the Beach Boys actually guest starred and uh, John Stamos as the son in the show was given the opportunity to audition as drummer for the Beach Boys, <laughs> which was uh, a, a little bit of sixties uh, pop eating itself it was uh, was very interesting. Now, Wilby, you've, uh, you've you're on very short notice uh, for for coming in, but any news items? The Power of Ten has been axed from Channel Nine, which I think is. Probably, there's your explanation right there. Yeah, 10 on 9. It, it, that was never going to work. Was it ever going to work? It's, it, the power of 10 on 7. No, 9. No, 10. ten. Well, the, the thing about, uh, well, especially with the billboards, which is still around town. Um, still say coming soon. Is what, Yes, they still say, still say coming soon. They've got the 9 logo at the top, but then they've got something that looks very much like an, an 80s era Channel 10 logo. As as part of the title, the power it, of ten. It does because like it's the gold. It's the gold ten, kind of three D on a on an angle kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, that Just, is really confusing, I reckon. And in creative or marketing terms, more to the point, the power of ten could be absolutely Channel Ten's next big push. What yes. is it at the moment? You know, we love it. Is Channel Seven or we love TV? What's that? Channel 9? That's Channel 9. Channel 9. We Heart TV. We Heart TV. We Heart TV. Uh, 7 is whatever 7 is. Uh, 7's the one or whatever. Uh, <laughs> Have they borrowed that? I no. think I love you or... Uh, it's, uh, whatever. And, and 10 is seriously. Gotta love it. Seriously. Gotta love it. Oh, gotta love it. Gotta love it, 7. And 10 is seriously. I mean, it could be the power of 10. It, you wait. It could be. Steve Jacobs could have another job at Channel 10. But he's still uh, doing the weather for the Today Show. He's gone back to that. Because uh, I thought he had uh, left that to, to do Power of Ten. For two weeks. For two weeks. <laughs> and uh, it's, almost, it's almost like paternity leave, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it was a, but it was a terrible concept for a show as well. Like, why would they, why would they even think, ah, yes, this is, this is a winner? It, it seemed like a desperate attempt to, to, to try to get back the audience that they once had with Millionaire. Mm, but, mm, uh, mm, you know, try, try to dumb it down a little bit because Deal or No Deal is so successful that uh, maybe people want dumb things. So let's go with The Power of Ten, which is really just like uh, Family Feud, in a sense. Like, it's just ridiculous. I unfortunately didn't see either of the two episodes that went to air of The Power of Ten. I'm sure I've got them on tape somewhere. I'll have a look at it and... uh Send your text back on that one, Josh. Don't, but, yeah, don't, don't but mix it up have, with uh, Monster House, though. And they <laughs> have, <laughs> they, but they have a, a, you know, Shafted, for instance, a few years ago. That lasted for about eight episodes. Yes. And that was supposed to be this next big thing. Again, terrible gameplay. Terrible gameplay on, on Shafted. Great host. Oh, yeah, he was all great, right. Great host. He was all right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, but terrible gameplay. Just, just a, a little bit ridiculous. So, anyway. They don't give it much. The real news behind that, I think, is that they don't really give it much of a shot, do they? Two episodes uh, dwindling, you know, like uh, whatever it was, 600,000, then 400,000 odd, then you are out of here. And could it it be that uh, it's because they didn't do a promotional story on 60 Minutes about it, like like, like they've done with so much else? Mm Mm-hmm. 
Well, it's strange because some critics are saying that uh, 60 Minutes has gone soft. Really? And in fact, it's just uh, like a longer version of A Current Affair after a story that uh, went to air this Sunday about a father-daughter couple from Adelaide. Which critics are these? Um, Critics of uh, 60 Minutes. No, no, just just they. They. Just they. The ubiquitous they. Right. They are saying. Yes. Uh, Particularly critical of Peter Overton, who... uh, who I think reported on the story, um, who's a you know, fairly highly paid, serious reporter and covering this sort of stuff. Um, the, the, the problem with the, uh, the story was that you've got this incestuous couple, um, father-daughter, they've had a child. Yes. Um, who is nine Going to be teased at school. Um, but uh, the story failed to mention that they'd had a previous child who had died of a heart defect at four days. Yes. And uh, and so the story's been criticised for, for that. For, for, yeah, well, for, not for the omission. For the omission. That, yes. Because normally, would they not, I posit, 60 minutes, mention that? Well, yeah, they they should. They should mention that because it's an important part of the story. They should definitely mention that. What is happening with 60 Minutes? Is it, I mean, I, I say this every year, Wilbur, and, and we've got uh, James Talia, uh, Channel 9 reporter, is, uh, is also our European correspondent mm-hmm. on Box Cutters. And uh, he'll attest to the fact that every year I say, oh, 60 Minutes is losing it. And every year 60 Minutes does very well in the ratings and has some good stories and uh and and keeps going well this is another another well, thing that makes me think well maybe maybe 60 minutes is losing it again mm, but i think that it's it is it does face serious challenges from time to time last year was with uh, ugly betty and channel 7's massive lineup for sunday nights we've seen it with elf previously um but i think that that each time that happens they have to sell themselves out a little bit to to kind of grab more of the the lowest common denominator and I think that that's probably driving where its content comes from. Because people don't want they to... They just have to cheapen it each time to, to get back in the ratings. Be- because people on a Sunday night won't be drawn in by a story about elections in Zimbabwe. Well, I, I think this is probably the, the outlook of the management at Channel 9. Right. I reckon. Yeah. Well, that's fair enough. I mean, thank heavens for foreign correspondent and Dateline. Yes, mm. and Cutting Edge. Where, where would we be without them? And Four Corners. I'm not sure what's on Four Corners this week, but uh, I'll look forward to it. Oh, it's, it's always good, though. And this is uh, th- there is still a place, and I'm glad that there is still a place in Australian television for the long format journalism. That that is something that should never die because you get that level of investigation that you just don't get otherwise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's. I think it's vital. The Last, comedy. The comedy company used to knock sixty minutes off too. Yeah, they they did for like a year. Yeah, they were panicking. Heads Which were rolling. Comedy. We'll we'll talk about comedy company yeah, later, later on because uh, very interesting story with, with with comedy company and how that came about. Last week we were talking with James about the BBC and uh, and crazy things they were getting Something up to. Something that Variety was saying about license fees and yes. sharing with commercials. And so I've got more information about that. Uh, a report has come out called the Digital Opportunity. Uh, which was published by the media regulator Ofcom, which is the Office of Communications in the UK. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they are suggesting that the licence fee paid by all of the TV owners uh, 
could be handed to other providers like B-SkyB and Discovery for them to produce material that benefits the public. On commercial... Well, on, on, their, on their cable commercial channels. So, so the money would be given to commercial enterprises to specifically produce content that would be of public interest. That doesn't sound right. Why not give them money to produce content that will be of public interest that will be played on the BBC? Yeah, well, I don't. I don't know. I haven't. I haven't got the report. I've only got a report of the report. That's double dipping, as far as I can see, from yeah, the cable channels. I mean, they're already paying, I presume, a subscription for cable and a license fee for their TV yes. free to air. Yes, and they're going to divert all or part thereof of that license fee back to the cable channels. Yeah, ridiculous. Sounds like Sam Chisholm's done an excellent job over there. <laughs> Uh, there's uh, also in this uh, in this report was a suggestion that ITV Channel Four and Five are allowed to become purely commercial. So, I, Brett, you were over there uh, about ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Was there uh, those those channels? Are they still partly publicly f- funded and partly commercial? Uh, as in three, four, and five. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, I think it, I think that was all just straight straight commercial. Oh, um, all of them had ads. Channel Five was actually just launching uh, in my last year over there, um, and was having stuff like topless darts and and bunnies presenting news. Mm. Or, or, so people people dressed up as bunnies uh, presenting news. So like Channel Ten, actually <laughs> beyond Channel Ten, uh, the uh, the CEO of Ofcom said. Uh, and this is uh, from Variety. Public service broadcasting is at a crossroads. Viewers still want a mix of high-quality UK-made content, but the traditional television model is not enough to meet all their needs. This comes just a few weeks after Channel 4 in the UK said, we're not buying any more American content. We're going to put all of that money back into making high-quality UK content. Now, I want to know, who's going to know the public better? Someone who actually makes a commercial living out of putting their faith in the public or some bureaucrat? You would hope. Somebody that that was putting putting their money where their mouth was, basically. You, you would hope so. And Channel Four are taking a, a big risk. And here comes this this guy who's just saying the exact opposite. Who is going to at Channel Four or Five or at the BBC? Who is going to purchase Underbelly? Is it going to be shown on Free to Air, or is it going to be shown on B Sky B? It would be B Sky B because uh, Fox International have have bought it. So I'm guessing that it will it will be shown through through the Fox channels there. Which begs the question as to the future of free-to-air TV. What are their licence fees? Do you know off the top of your head for their BBC stuff? No, I, I, I don't. Okay. It's, it's probably comparable or in the ballpark of a subscription to cable. I, no, oh, no, no, I think much cheaper. It'd be like 50, 100, 120 quid a yeah. year. A year, all right. Yep. And uh, what's cable going to cost you? It's going to cost you fifty quid. You know, fifty quid a month. That yep. was me who bumped yep. the microphone. <clears throat> so John oh, Howard. Mr. Howard. Yeah. <laughs> Every time someone bumps the microphone, it's John Howard in in memory of uh, the the great debate oh. where he kept hitting the microphone. <laughs> uh, yeah. So so it, it's it's about 
you're looking at a, a, about a fifth of uh, of your annual cable rate. But thing is, the BBC are still making great quality product. Yes, they are. But do they have an independent production company such as HBO? I mean, uh, do BB, do B Sky B have you know something like you know, The Sopranos being produced, or do they have uh, you know that? Uh, I, I think Channel Four kind of takes. Ch- okay. Yeah, Channel Four. Right. Channel 4 Thanks for putting that. me in the picture there. Uh, and uh, and Channel 4 are, are great, and they are just a straight commercial channel. What have we seen produced by Channel 4 here? Oh. Shameless. I think Shameless came yeah. from Channel okay. 4. Uh, was Skins Channel 4? I think Skins was Channel 4, and I think Jekyll was Channel 4. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, I might be wrong on uh, all parts of that, but uh, I'm pretty sure they weren't BBC because BBC always put the BBC logo up front of, uh, of any episode. But anyway, it's it's interesting to see what's uh, what's going on in uh, in the UK and to see that Australia's not the only country going crazy. Speaking of Englishmen screwing up TV, uh, there's a bit of a position around at the moment uh, saying that Sean Brown should jump overboard from SBS. Uh, Sean Brown is, of course, the uh, managing director of SBS and is uh, the wag that keeps on coming out and saying that people just have to wake up and... and Smell the coffee and uh, put ads on the ABC uh, because he put them on SBS and, and TV works only- much better, much much better that way. It's the only way he's going to sleep well at night. Um, however, uh, it doesn't come without a cost. David Stratton, Margaret Pomerantz and Mary Kostakidis are amongst those who have been driven from the network uh, in his time at the helm. Um, and uh, there's a reason for that. Uh, is it uh, is it because he's just more than they can handle? He's just too much man, and uh, and uh, and his ideas were too out there and and crazy. But uh, they wanted the more conservative route. Is is that it? No, is, is, quite no? the opposite. Right. Um, apparently, uh, I, I believe the petition is available if you do a Google search for Save Our SBS. I don't have the uh, URL, but that'll come up, I'm sure. Save Our SBS, they just stole that from ABC. They just stole that from Save Our ABC. This is the group trying to get rid of Sean Brown. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying. Was Is there a Save Our ABC? Yeah, there was a Save Our ABC. Yeah, I think there was. Yeah. 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 There were stickers. There were definitely stickers. Put, put them on your car. Save yeah. Our ABC. Yeah. From whom? Uh, friends of the ABC? Fr- probably Friends of the ABC. But I reckon the Friends of the ABC actually voted Jonathan Shire in. <laughs> now, friends like that, who needs enemies? That's a terrible joke. But still. Still. Wilbur, uh, another, another news item? Uh, not from no, me, no. no. Uh, well, I'll, uh, I'll, cl- I'll close it off with uh, this uh, wacky story about a 3D television that's going to be available in Japan. Uh, Hyundai have... Wait a minute, we've had those for years. It was, it was shown in uh, Willy Wonka Chocolate Factory. Mike TV. Yeah, it no, was, di- di- different. Different, because... No, no, he was 3D. Yeah, they that, picked him up. That was fantastic. But that was uh, f- fictional. Ah. Uh, oh. See... See, see, sorry, okay, I can distinguish. Probably, probably, Willy Wonka apparently was not a documentary. <laughs> Willy Wonka and Chocolate Factory. Me and Judge uh, Betty, s- we're on the same level. Stir Crazy, just can't tell. And Woman in Red, all Gene Wilder films, all fictional. I oh, know Woman in Red was not fictional. No, fictional. I'm telling you. Oh, that's disappointing. Uh, so this is uh, Hyona have, have made this, and, and Japanese audiences are going to be the first in the world to actually see television that will be regularly scheduled in 3D. Okay, so how does it work? 
uh, requires special Is it glasses. Hologram? It requires special glasses. Oh, wait a minute. We've had special glasses for years. They I know. There was that, that Channel 7. Stooges. There was the Channel <laughs> 7 thing night. with the street, Three Stooges. <laughs> Uh, they just throw shit at the screen. The, the tickets, <laughs> the tickets went on. The tickets, the the televisions went on sale for almost five thousand US dollars in uh, in Japan. When I was seven years of age, my mother was mowing the back lawn. I was swinging with my friend John McLaughlin on one of those play sort of things in the backyard, and a stone flung from that motor mower uh, hemorrhaged my left eye. So. You guys just talk about your little 3D TVs, okay? Because I'll have to sit out on this one. Everything's in mono. When I I go to IMAX, I see all the red stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't want to bring up bad memories for you, Elba. It's fine. I'm so sorry. Yeah, well... And, but, uh, I mean, surely that's got to drive our production. What, what companies are producing 3D content, apart from IMAX, uh, Nippon, which is meant to be seen on a 10-storey high screen? Nippon BS Broadcasting is uh, a, a satellite broadcaster that's going to start uh, producing 3D stuff. It technically... Uh, I Actually, no, it, it, has been, it has been producing and airing 3D stuff since December, uh, including sports events, travel shows, animal documentaries, and... Uh, it's going to try to air live 3D sports in uh, either summer or autumn. It's not going to be any more information than HD, is it? He says and loud, look, confidently, and as most as long wrong. as it's not HD 3D, and because then, then it would be twice. Why would it be twice? Well, because if you've got that resolution in two eyes, you've, you've logically got to double up. Is that resolution. right? Okay, all right, fine. I'm happy with that. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, Still, Are they really I, doing it with red and blue gra- glasses? Uh, no, 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 not no. red and blue glasses. It would be polarised glasses, I'm guessing, uh, which also means you have to sit directly facing the centre of, of the television. That's my guess. I don't know. And maybe it is some other fantastic technology. Yeah. When they come up with something that's like just a platform and you can walk around it and see the picture. The hologram. Yeah. yeah. I'm waiting for that. Yeah, help, help yeah. me Obi-Wan yeah. Kenobi. That's, Give me a nudge then. That's, that's what you want. Okay. That's right. Yeah. That 3D thing's okay for the car, but I wouldn't have it in the home. And with, uh, and with the news of uh, Wilbur Wilde's ocular disaster, that is the Boxcutters news. Hi, I'm Ryan Shelton, Boxcutters' favourite ever guest, and uh, I've really enjoyed myself on Boxcutters, so listen as much as you can, because um, I'll be having it on loop on my iPod. Hey, Brad. Yes? Wilbur Wilde's in the studio. Now, just taking out Ryan Shelton for our favourite ever guest, I think. Really? Wow. Wow, I think they'll... Uh, yeah, who's he ever beat? <laughs> there, there will be some guests who, uh, who will go, well, what about me? And, uh, and we'll say, well, you're not here right now. Yeah, and there'll be right. some and, they'll uh, say, I thought I was the fourth box cutter. And, and not, a lot, not a lot bigger than me and can beat me up. That's right. And all well, I've got to say to them is, have a good look at yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> now, Wilbur, you were uh, quite famously, uh, other than being in All 55 with Frankie J. Holden, mm-hmm. uh, for, for many, many years, you said 16 years earlier, you were the saxophonist with the band on Hey Hate Saturday. Beginning in 1984 and finishing in the last show on November the 20th, 1999. I enjoyed every show, some more than others, Josh. Right. It's a, it, it would have been a, quite a, a crazy show to work on in, in the early years, definitely, uh, where uh, you, you still had you still had Ozzy, you still had Jackie McDonald. Uh, you had just gone to... So you, you started with it, if it was 84... That would have been just when it went to Hey Hat Saturday Night. 9.30 till midnight, live, 
no audience, three or four cameramen, audio guys on the floor. So there was Daryl, Jackie, Oz, Animal, bass player named Rob Glover, who we know from the sports, and me. And that was all that happened. And, and of course, the disembodied voice or voices of the man of a thousand voices upstairs, Mr. John Blackman. And uh, and, and the, the very important fingers of uh, Murray Tregulling. Exactly. All off cart, by the way. Mm. It's amazing. I, I would actually love to get... Uh, you, Brett, off air, you were saying that you've uh, you've worked with Murray. It'd, it'd be great to get Murray on to, to oh, talk exactly, about that. Yeah. He, he must have the, the fastest hands in, in television. Well, the show ran for 28 years and began in 1972. And Murray, I think, was pretty much there from the outset. John certainly was. And Daryl, of course. Uh, Jackie came a little bit later. It was, you know, like a cartoon corner-ish sort of thing, with which I grew up. Yep. And, you know, I mean, I grew up with that show, as people say to me. We grew up with that show. So, well, so did I. I mean, I was on it for 16 years, but I was sort of still growing up while I was on it. And way, so, back in, way back in those days, that was a lot of resources to put to a, a, a guy hosting in between cartoons that were being played on, on the Saturday mornings. That is the nature of the game, though. You know, you're going to need three cameras, and when somebody starts talking, it's just, you know, you have to have a director, you have to have a vision switcher, and you have to have audio guys, and that's... But what... also talking specifically about John Blackman and, and Murray on the sound effects for... That sort of eventuated... Because of John and Murray's fantastic rapport and Daryl would throw upstairs to Murray to have a sound effect and then the characters started, Norman Neumann and the Angel and that was Phil Lambert and please don't ever forget the contribution to the show that uh, Lucky Lucky Phil made, one of the funniest guys uh, on the planet and it's it's a you know it's a it's a a group collaboration certainly in those days you know to get it up and running like that and it, it was uh, it was also a fantastic thing that we don't see that much on television anymore which was largely improvised television I mean, you know John would John would <clears throat> come up with a gag Murray would come up with a sound effect. A lot of it on the fly. Can I say also, this this is something I think that uh, a lot of people don't understand, is that John Blackman saw in his voiceover booth exactly what everyone else saw. There were no banks of monitors for John to know what was going on. He just had the on-air. What was going to air was what John saw. He had one monitor. So there were no red lights or, you know, um, you know sort of buttons and, 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 you know, forewarning, as I say. It was just on the fly, as you said. And Murray also. All of the Murray was sitting in the opposite side of the uh, uh, the control room, but uh, he and John would be in contact. And, in fact, when I say in contact, John had to lean back on his chair and grab Murray's attention through one of those small windows that you find in those soundproofed booths. Mm-hmm. And there'd be a wave of the hand and Murray would put in a cart and they there was that going on. There was that sort of, well, darn near telepathic, uh, but a little bit of sign language type relationship. And And, and it would have to be that... Amazing instant coordination to to get uh, the the music for Angel and then Angel to fly in on screen and uh, you know all all coming from something that uh, that was 
at that moment important for Angel to say? Like, it, it, it would have oh, to be yeah. really, really quick. Well, you know, Blackman, I remember, and he's a very, very, very dear friend, and I've told him on a number of occasions that I think he's just one of the funniest people on the planet and has had me in tears laughing. I said, you are really the funniest guy I've ever met. And he said, oh, no, I'm not, mate. I've just born, I was just born with the accident of timing. <laughs> Which is so delightfully self-deprecating, but but he's you know I, uh, I I was lucky enough to panel for a show that he was a guest on uh, in the old three triple R studios, and uh, I've never seen a man improvise like that mm-hmm. uh, on air live. Just instantly, it was it, he he would turn Dickie Neon straight away. He would yeah. make his own sound effects using the door that we had to the studio and his own mm. feet and and whatever whatever it was that he had at his disposal, he he did that. Well, he comes from the uh, radio school and certainly one of the most experienced broadcasters you'll see uh, or hear. And he started off in Goulburn um, when he was a kid. And then went to Canberra, I think 2CA or something like that, and then came down and uh, you know, he and Bruce Mansfield were a ridiculously high-rating breakfast team mm-hmm. on AW right up until 1986. So there's no – well, there's, a, there's an absolute uh, surfeit of experience for John. And he, that's, that's what he revels in. He revels in that theatre of the mind. And it's uh, something I like to think after having worked with him for a lot of years that uh, I've, I've tried to learn from John, you know. And, uh, and Hey Hate Saturday Night was a huge experiment. It was a risk yep. for, for, for Nine. They were taking a kid's show, yep. turning it into an adult show. And I can tell you uh, quite authoritatively that Gavin Disney, the then executive producer of Hey Hate Saturday and Daryl's partner, along with uh, Ernie Carroll in Disney and Summers and Carroll, um, was informed by Kerry Packer and I paraphrased but the quote went something like you've got six weeks then you can piss off if it doesn't work (laughs) (laughs) and and gavin who was a big man and used to dealing with those uh macho chesty sort of channel nine types that were around then and probably still are now uh he 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 was quaking in his uh boots yeah, as as you would be. Mm, the the mm. big man tells you that six weeks. That's a luxury oh, these well, days. That, well, that, which is what I was saying about you know uh, the power of ten. Yeah, you know, two weeks can't piss up. Yeah, you know it's a grotesque industry, and uh, well, it can be. You know, so how long did it end up running on Saturday night? Like late? Well, uh, from eighty five. Well, sixteen years. No, no, but uh, nine thirty to late night one. Nine thirty to midnight was about <clears throat> three years. No, first year was uh, uh, nineteen eighty four. Nine thirty till midnight at live, and then we went to six thirty and eighty five, and oh, stayed right. there. And um, that was because the experiment had. Look, you have to remember, it was a kids show. It was a kids show in the morning. It was a kids show, even nine thirty till midnight. And this is the thing: we never, there was never any shit or you know bugger or you know might have been a bugger or something like that. But there was that's what it was. I mean, sure, there's the entendre, and and it worked for the adults. And by then, you know, bands were coming on, and there was that sort of great, you know, the the red faces and the master slime and Chuck Lotto and this other stuff that just sort of happened. Chuck Lotto night got a barrel full of Chucks. It's going to be all right. (laughs) We should register. That with our <laughs> but uh, we worked at that level, you, you know, even when the commercial breaks were on and we would talk to the audience 
to swear or to work blue, as it were, was, you know, was uncool. Well, you didn't do that because you can't work at that level on the show. Yeah. You know, so you kept it, you know, there were you know, a couple of little bits and pieces there, but that's what you learn. You know, you work at that level on the show and you work at that level in the studio. You know, there's no swearing or, you know, it was a kid's show. How is it different going from, uh, because Hey Hey would do three or four live shows a year, like, like live in front of an audience. So Red Faces was a four times a year s- scenario. Uh, and then fr- from that went to being in front of a live audience every week with Red Faces every week. And uh, ha- how was how it different going from just a studio, just the crew as your audience mm-hmm. to having a full studio audience? The crew always remained our audience, even when there were 200 odd other people in there. And some of them were very odd people. I reckon we worked without an audience for at least the first three or four years, apart from the theme shows when, as you say, you know, three or four shows per year and they'd have a DAG show or they'd have a, you know, cartoon show or, you know, it'd be a, you know, a, a vampire show yep. and people, you know, that, that thing. And they were really well supported. They'd all line up at the uh, Jago Street Gatehouse and then be shown in, and it was so exciting. It was such a sense of occasion, and they'd be paraded, and it'd be a look-alike show, you know, and Daryl would say, look, if you look like somebody, come down, and then people would come out of the woodwork. Yeah, you have you have 100 people down there, you know, and there'd be Max Walkers, and there'd be you know, uh, Robert Menzies, or whatever the like, but we made that transition, I think it was just decided that it was sort of we had an audience and it just worked you know but it in the early days without an audience it was like a very intimate sort of thing you know a, a pool of light on either side of the studio the host set and the band set and in the middle was sort of dark was it still in studio nine or yeah, it was, was it's always in studio nine yep. yeah and we we'd travel the show for you know we did shows out of adelaide uh, once a year and brisbane um, sydney and then uh, we kept on doing the Sydney shows. In the later years, the Adelaide shows dropped off. But, uh, of course, tickets were you know, rarer than rocking hen's teeth. Yes. And um, it, uh, a couple from out of Perth. And also we eventually took it over to the United States and did a couple of shows from Hollywood in 1991 and a couple of shows from Orlando, Walt Disney World in 96. And uh, the camera crews over there in the States, I remember the first one we did from uh, Los Angeles. And uh, there was... A running sheet for the show, which was a full-scap sheet of paper on which on one side there were seven or eight segments and the other side seven or eight segments, you know, whatever it was, 30, you know, 30 or 14 segments for the two-hour show. And the opening segment, the, the, uh, just read from the top, episode uh, uh, 91, 13, 1991, episode 13, whatever it was. And then it would have uh, uh, band play on, Daryl opening remarks, um, introduce Chevy Chase, um, and then it'd be band playoff, um, or Tom, you know, Chevy Chase, uh, Tom Jones, and a band playoff, and there was a black line. One of the cameramen came up and said, well, What's that? What's that mean? I said, Well, uh, there's around about the first nine minutes of the show. And that was it. And you talk about improvisation and things on the fly. But there was structure. You knew that Daryl would be interviewing Chevy Chase. You knew that he'd have a chat with Tom Jones. The band knew the charts. We had rehearsed in the afternoon with Tom and we knew how to play it. And then there was a time where the chat finished and Tom, we know you're going to be a great, you know, just go over there and sing, hold on, I'm coming. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Tom Jones. So... There's that sort of stuff that you don't need to write down because yep. if somebody drops the ball and Daryl 
never dropped the ball, but there were many people around to pick it up. And this is uh, this is the thing about, and that a lot of people don't remember about. Hey, hey, is that it was a fantastic team, and it was a it was a team effort when, when Molly came on board sure. uh, with with you know we've already talked about John Blackman and Murray Tregoning, but with you and with Red. Uh, and Animal as well. For the first four years, Animal was there, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and Pluckada, Dickie Knee. Dickie Knee was actually John Blackman. Dickie Knee, the voice uh, of Dickie Knee was John Blackman, but the operator... Was Crystal. For a few years, yes. Right. And then the actual operator uh, became... Um, uh, that was Pluckada. Right. Okay. So Mark in, McGann. In, insert? No. You never saw Plucker and Dickie Knee in the same shot. Well, actually, you did because Crystal would sometimes do something like that. But there were no sort of, uh, you know, like Plucker would lay in front. Mark would lay in front of the host set, like literally on the ground. They got him a cushion so he could rest his elbow. And as soon as he heard Dickie's voice, up the head would come and it'd start waggling around. And that, So, no, once again, no forewarning or anything. He was just watching off the monitor and then he, uh, John would, you know, you know, you see... Mr. Summers, Mr. Sam, up he'd go, and he'd be just on on the ball, ready to go, and then to the van, Dicky, and off he'd go. But uh, you know, so it's such an unsophisticated thing because it doesn't need to be any more than that. Yeah, and the idea these days that someone would actually just be employed. <laughs> To lie down on a studio floor and hold, hold a stick. Hold a head on a stick. Well, essentially, that was what Ernie Carroll was doing for all those years as well. Oh, no, Ernie Carroll's a puppeteer. <clears throat> and, and was providing the voice, of course. And, uh, and uh, also a, a, an excellent... Dickie uh, Knee's a puppet as well. An excellent wit, don't, don't forget. Oh, Ernie uh, Carroll. And, and well, both Ernie and John, of course. Yes. You know. And you know that Ernie you know, wrote for Kennedy... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, and was Professor Ratbaggy when I grew up. And uh, um, just that uh, steeped in television tradition. And uh, was there at the, well, you know, the, at the genesis, if, if not maybe a couple of years later. But uh, just a, a, a wonderful source of, uh, and continuation of uh, the shows that came out of Channel 9. Too. And it was, it was a fantastic thing of which to be part. And... Uh, as the show evolved, we could have a look at a show we did in 1984, 84, 85, 86. And you can drive a truck through some of the gaps that, you know, you could take a breath. You could use time. Later on, it just became, especially with the addition of Russell Gilbert, that sixth or, you know, whatever it was, sixth member, you know, and Joe Beth Taylor came in there and stuff like that. And uh, you, you, you couldn't leave a gap for timing. It just had to be bang, 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 bang. And, um, yeah, it, it became sort of it became something different. It it, it did, and I think uh, you know a, a lot of people because by that stage as well, people who had grown up with Hey Hey It's Saturday were now thirty and forty, and uh, and they had moved on. But without, they still wouldn't go out until eight thirty. But on they still Saturday wouldn't night. go out until eight thirty on Saturday. <laughs> night. It, it was fantastic, Wilbur. I, we we could. Uh, <laughs> We could keep having this chat for a long, long, long time, but we have other segments to do. Sure. But I'm glad, I'm so glad you're here. Thanks, This Josh. is Marie Cardi, and you are listening to that fluffy white cloud of goodness box cutters. <laughs> Stick it in the fire and eat it. <laughs> J-Pod is a 
Canadian show. We don't really cover a lot of Canadian television. In fact, I don't think we've ever... There is a lot that comes out of Canada, though. There, there is, and uh, a lot of it quality. Mm. And uh, one day I'm going to do a, a Things You May Have Missed about Degrassi. I've got the uh, the first few seasons of Degrassi on DVD. My so-called so life to... was Canadian? No, it was not. Really? Really. My so- so-called life Man, was the... Uh, felt so Canadian. It was the, the same people that did 30-something and, uh, and recently did that short-lived show about uh, the, the girl who does the video blog. Bionic Woman. Uh, no, not Bionic Woman. Um, Lonely Girl 15? No, 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 no. The girl that does the video blog. It, it wasn't... It, it was made for... I can't remember the name of it now. Uh, it was made... Oh, uh, uh, the, with the vampire? N- no. No, that's, that's Moonlight. Yes. No, no, no it was but made... she does a video blog. It was made especially for the internet and, uh, and then uh, released on television uh, because yeah, of the writer's strike. Because of the strike, strike yeah. uh, But anyway, th- they were the people that did My So-Called Life. But... There is some some great television that uh, that has come out of Canada. Northern Exposure. No, it's, it was <laughs> oh, three strikes, Crumpley. You're out. Second City TV. The uh, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yes, yes. Kids in the Hall. Mm. Uh, what was the one in the Office? Come on, the, the, the Office. No, no, no. That wasn't. It was in, in the the, um, the newsroom. The newsroom. The newsroom was great. Uh, More tears, uh, which was kind of a sequel to the newsroom, uh-huh. was uh, Ken Finkelman. Was the name of the guy Thank who, you. Uh, who who did that? Uh, excellent, uh, excellent TV series. Of course, Naked News started off in Canada. Yeah, <laughs> and some quality stuff has <laughs> come right, out yeah. of. Is th- that is that your Brett stop helping look? <laughs> yeah. Please, please stop helping. So, J-Pod is based on the Douglas Copeland novel. Douglas Copeland, who wrote Generation X, Microsurfs, Shampoo Planet, Girlfriend in a Coma, Miss Wyoming, Eleanor Rigby. I've so got to catch up. I I was so disappointed by Shampoo Planet that I never went back. Well, you know what? Read J-Pod and you'll be disappointed again. J-Pod is, uh, I, I think, probably his least successful book as far as attempting a, a concept and uh, and going for it. And it, it was a very brave book to do in some respects, but also don't waste my time. That's, you know, I've got no time to be wasting with a Douglas Copeland novel. I sit down, I want to enjoy it. I want to read it all in one go. I don't want to have, uh, have this crazy a- attempt at art that is failing. Yeah, you buy it at Tullamarine, you throw it in the bin in Perth. No, I don't throw them in the bin. Mm. So is it, is it kind of like the William Burroughs cut-up type thing? Did it, did it make no sense in that kind of sense? Oh, no, it, it, or, it or made... was trying to be art in that kind of sense? No, no, the, the book was... Basically, he put himself as a character in the book. And that was a, a big part of, of the book. So there was this kind of meta-Copeland character. Okay. Uh, what and, does J-Pod mean, though? Well, J-Pod is, uh, is set in a... An, an anima- well, it's not an animation studio. It's a video games production company called Neotronic Arts. And through a glitch in the human resources system, it's Tron. All the uh, all all of the employees whose surnames begin with J were put in one area together, and they and and that also just happened to be in the basement, and so that was called J Pod. Mm-hmm. And so it's about these. Uh, it's, it's about these six people who work together, uh, including uh, the boss Steve. Mainly, uh, main, mainly the story revolves around Ethan Jarluski, who is a gore expert when it comes to creating these video games, and he creates he creates the gore effects for mm-hmm. the video games. 
his mother uh, has a grow up in the basement. So she is a uh, she's she's a fifty something woman who is growing her own weed. His father was an accountant or, or had some respectable job, lost his job, decided to become an actor, and is now trying his hand at acting. Uh, there's uh, there, there's the characters within J Pod. There's uh, there's John Doe who has changed his name by deed poll to John Doe because he wants to be as normal as possible because he was brought up by his lesbian mother on a feminist commune. Mm. Shouldn't he have uh, been in the D Pod though? Uh, no, because he changed his name him. after coming in. Uh, so yeah, he changed his name to, to John Doe afterwards. Uh, there's uh, there's Caitlin who was a very fat girl who went on one of these fast food diets, like the the Subway diet, but not the Subway diet, uh, and became the spokesperson for losing weight using. Uh, this. So th- th- there are all these characters. Uh, the the mother gets involved with uh, with bikies and uh, and someone dies and Ethan gets called on to uh, to. to help bury the body and there there's fun stuff in the story it's like a canadian chances it, it is it is like kind of don't want to no, sell it short no no okay. no not like uh there's no nazi subplot towards the end there's uh, no werewolves similar, no werewolves similar amount of nudity though no nudity natalie mccurry it's a really yes <laughs> it is a really fun and charming show and a lot more enjoyable than the book. So, if you've read the book and you were turned off by the book, it is a much more charming and enjoyable show. It's just, it's light, it's easy to watch. This kid, Ethan, is ever in trouble with his family, with his girlfriend, with his with his friends, getting into all sorts of problems. He's, he's the normal one who is surrounded by... Uh, idiots and troublemakers and... Uh, and all these difficulties on his very uh, young but world-weary life. How old is he? He's uh, 27. Okay. And is it hip? It is hip. Mm-hmm. It is, uh, it's full of hipster T-shirts. Ethan wears a lot of threadless. A lot of threadless T-shirts, which is uh, the, uh, all the young kids are wearing that now. Cool. So it's, it's kind of like Chuck, but without the, the CIA. And- yeah, it's, it's, it kind of has the same charm that Chuck has. So, so if you've seen Chuck and, and you like that little bit of uh, nerd humour, then, uh, you know, not, uh, it, it's not overt humour. It's, it's just a little bit of, I recognise myself in that, uh, which I do. Uh, you recognise yourself in nerds. Uh, or as an in, in, CIA in, agent. As, which, C- as a CIA okay, agent. Cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Clearly, Wilbur. I, you know, I have the training. Look at him. <laughs> no dispute from me. <laughs> as uh, soon as I saw that Uzi down on the table there, I thought, yes, I know my spot. And, and, and well, you should. The, uh, one of the most interesting things about this, uh, this show is that it has Alan Thicke in it. From Growing the, Pains. The father from Growing Pains, who plays Ethan, uh, Ethan Jarlewski's father, Jim Jarlewski. It's a really fun show, and I, uh, I I can really recommend it uh, if you if you're looking for something to to download because it has just been axed by CBC oh. in Canada. So they've done 13 episodes. The 13 episodes have gone to air. Was that a full season? And uh, that was a full season. So that got them to the end of the full se- the, the first season, and CBC went. No more, thank you very much. It's like Nathan Barley and all over again. It, it is like Nathan Barley all over again. And John from Cincinnati. 
Well, you Someone- know, you're sitting in Ross's chair, Wilbur, and uh, and Ross and John from Cincinnati don't get along. No, no, it's no. strange, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I love that show, though. Uh, the, uh, All the way up until the second last episode. S- seemingly, things are the same the world over because this show... J-Pod started on CBC on a Tuesday night. It didn't do so well on a Tuesday night, so they moved it to, any guesses? Thursday night, 8.30. Friday night. Friday night, death slot. Friday night, death slot. They put it there to die. Die it did, and then they just pulled it. So, there's only going to be one series. It's It does have a Douglas Copeland feel, if you're a fan of his... Of his books. But then, it doesn't actually follow the story of the book. But it doesn't. It follows some of the storylines of the book, but not all of the storylines of the book. So, if you were put off by J-Pod and the whole Douglas Copeland storyline, then uh, you won't encounter that in the TV show J-Pod. So, worth checking out. Okay, question three. Which can I- all these going to be about war? No. i got loads of... i got one on tennis, one on the Suez Canal. Loads. Okay, question three. Which canal links the Mediterranean with the Red Sea? Suez Canal. It's Again, no. Right. Brad, you can't. Correct. Every week. No, no, it's Every twice so far. I know, but I can just tell it's going to be next week too. I can just tell. Uh, no crap TV this week, it turns out. No crap TV. I, I announced it at the no, start of the show no, and, no. Uh, it was, and it was gone. You know, well, you kind of covered that with the Hey Hat Saturday stuff. Yeah, right yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't even I didn't even get started talking about hey hey and how bad it got towards the end, Wilbur. Really, the quiz. I was, <laughs> I was there. <laughs> I lived it. Damn it! The quiz. Congratulations to Jared Bates. One now, of the men- yes yes. Tell, tell me that this is the most fantastic question. Can you just? Can you expose the answer in, in, in a just bit by bit for me? Because I and reprise the question. I love the question. Okay, what so, was the question for so those just joining for us? For those just joining us, why haven't you listened to the beginning of the show? You can. You can still yeah. do that. It's fantastic. Wilbur oh, yeah. Wilde is here. Just joining us this week. But ju- oh, as, just joining as us. all fans of Wilbur well, Wilde will be. Well, yes. The, uh, the, the question was, which Melbourne actor... Melbourne actor. ...appeared on one night... In three different TV shows, uh-huh. on three different channels, on four first-run episodes, okay, within three hours of each other. So, and this is in Victoria, right? Uh, the uh, well, yes, they they were all uh, they were all they're legally all, shown in Victoria. All legally shown okay, in Victoria. Right, okay, that takes underbelly out. There were yeah, there were clues. Strangely, I didn't even think of that before. <laughs> Because I was, I was thinking Vince Colosimo. That, well, because he's done some stuff, you know. Uh, yeah, Vince Colosimo is fantastic. He's actor. done a lot of stuff. That's right. So then there were more clues given given out last week, Wilbur. Okay. Uh, so the, the first week, that's all we had. All we had was that question. Cool. Then uh, last week, we gave out the clues that uh, it was on December the 5th, mm-hmm. 2007. Okay. Uh, that one of the shows was on cable television. Mm-hmm. Uh and so, out of ratings? Uh, uh, yes, out, yep. of, out of rating season. Yep, yep. out of ratings. Uh, and that it was a... a was it? A male actor. Yeah, yeah uh, just, uh, last week in November. Yep. Uh, 
Uh, so it summer, was a male. Summer filler. Yeah. And and that and that it was a male. I love you. I have absolutely no, no idea. No but idea. I'm looking forward to the answer. So Jared Bates had the correct answer, as did many people. It was a, an amazing response. Uh, and Jared will be getting a bag courtesy of Crumpler, an excellent camouflaged. What's the name of the bag? It's limited edition. It's the uh, messenger bag, the T textbook point. The textbook point that you can see there on the video podcast. There is and, a video um, podcast. It's got it's got quite a uh, an army belt kind of feel to the the Velcro pad over the strap with the the rivets on it. You, you know, Brett, I, I've noticed That's whenever the- whenever you say video podcast, yes. you look look up into the yeah, corner I, of the I studio look at the camera. as if there's a camera there. <laughs> Can't you there see it? There is no camera. It's a speaker. <laughs> you, you'd think no, no, that- no, I'm above that. There's no camera there. It's that, not going to kill you at a video podcast, the show. There is no video podcast, though, Will. He keeps <laughs> saying there's a video, and there is none. Come on, we can we can whack something and edit it up, and you know they they do it they do it for Don Imus for heaven's sake. <laughs> <laughs> he's in a decent radio show. He's on TV. The answer, Wilbur. Do you want Nicholas to Bell. Oh yes. Now, okay. So the shows were the shows were the librarians, of course. Two episodes of Satisfaction. Not. Yet viewed by Wild, yes. And so that was that was the first screening of Satisfaction. Yes. Yeah. The, the yes. So I don't first, understand why they'd show that. Why they, why they would kick off a series out of ratings? Because it's uh, on cable, cable, and cable at, at that stage didn't really care about ratings. Soft night. No rules. They didn't on know cable. about all the competition from all the Nicholas Bells around the yeah, country. Yeah. That that well, it. I don't think it was on at the same time on any of these. There, there was okay. Newstopia's... Newstopia's 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock. Oh, so maybe there was a bit of crossover. So, yes, Newstopia, uh, Librarians and Satisfaction were the three shows. Uh, Librarians, 9.30, Newstopia, 10 o'clock. So no crossover, but still. Yeah. Impressive. Really, really impressive. Satisfaction, please just tell me a little bit about that show. It was... uh, It it was all right. You know, it it was... Premise uh, set in a brothel. Were kind of set in a brothel. Who uh, else? Who else was in it? Yep. Uh, Madeline West was in it. Alison White. Of course. Alison White's been nominated for a Logie for her performance in it. Oh, terrific. Yeah. Uh, it was, you know what? It, it was an interesting exploration into uh, the female psyche. Alison White and Freddie Whitlock are old man have got the Yarra Glen pub now. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So just thought What's I'd throw that in. Pop up Zaya. I'll give you a tape. Beautiful. Yeah. Have a look at that. Yeah. So, uh, Jared Bates, congratulations. I'll be in touch with you uh, during the week. And also, uh, Kathy, you're going to be in town, and I will be in touch with you to uh, tell I've you got, where you can get I've your got something crumpler prize. I've orange well. for you, Kathy. Yes, Kathy, you do get your own crumpler prize. wrapped in plastic. For, for giving us the question. If you have a similar question, if you have An a question, question that you think could stump the box cutters listeners, and this was. This was a toughie. We had to run it over two weeks, Wilbur. Yeah, oh, that's a beautiful question. It, but it, it sort of uh, it just gives an indication of the depth of Australian talent for acting with your underbellies. And City Homicide mm. I loved because it featured good Australian actors in guest roles too. I mean, a great, great main cast. But then they were bringing, in fact, I think Alison White uh, may have uh, been a guest on City Homicide, for instance. Uh, I know Elise Platt was. Mm. You know, and, and you don't, you know, don't realise that people are really skilled performers. You know. 
Fantastic. And this is one of the things I, I love about uh, watching All Saints at the moment is not only do you have uh, John Howard there and uh, and also, uh, what's his name? John Lennon. Uh, you, yes, you've- that's right. <laughs> John Waters. Uh, you, you do uh, also have fantastic guest cast every week. My old girlfriend, Ellie Fowler, was John Howard's love interest for a few episodes on All Saints. You went out with a Shantuzzi, with her. Oh, yeah, of course. <gasps> she was the jazz singer that was in love with John Howard. It was cool. Just, and then, uh, and, then uh, and left him because uh, they, they were going to have a, a, a tardy baby. The same Together. reason she left me. <laughs> life imitating art, imitating life. So thank you very much to Crumpler for the giveaway and uh, and for, to, to Kathy. What a great question! If you have a question that you think can stump the box cutters, listeners, hooray at boxcutters.net. or even stump the box cutters. Yes. Hey, um, when I cast my pod, it's with the box cutters in mind. Box cutters. Pod, cast, done. Pork is on the table. When Brian Nankervis turned up as uh, Raymond J. Bartholomew's yeah, yeah. on uh, Hey Hey It's That Day, had he been working as warm-up guy in the studio there? Or, or no, no, it was, a, it was a Red Faces. It was a Red Faces gig. Josh is perfectly correct. He he came on. He came on as a Red Faces contestant, mm. and uh, and that's and and then he came back as a guest after that because he was so popular. Hilarious. Fantastic. And, of course, joined later on by his protege, Matt Healy, the little boy who would stand alongside Brian Mankervis, Raymond J. Bartholomew's. Was he the the, the little blondie guy? Like about four years of age. That at one point did did some of his poetry about something, something Isthmus, I don't believe in Christmas. Exactly. And Matt Healy. In an homage to the already established Raymond J. Bartholomew's, also appeared on Red Faces and was screamingly funny. I remember that. And then, as a result of that, Daryl and Brian hooked up, you know, they hooked up together. So Raymond J. and his, um, you know, like a mini me, but. Yeah, um, uh, it would do a duo, and Matt would, uh, you know, complete lines of Brian's stanzas, and uh, and it was just, just absolutely eye-wateringly cute. So, what's he doing now? Matt Healy would be twenty-two or twenty-three years of age. His father, John, I bump into, he still works for Qantas in Sydney, and. Um, um, uh, in fact, um, the one of the I think the second last my penultimate Logies appearance, um, I organised uh, for John Healy who'd come down as a guest that night um, to get into the Channel Nine after party. So it's been Fantastic. good for a couple of upgrades actually. <laughs> Not that the, I had that in <laughs> mind. He was just there. He was the parent. He's the dad of, of, of a really cute little kid who's um, now grown up. The, uh, the the other Red Faces contestant to uh, make it slightly big, uh, apart had from the a, Music Man, had apart from the Music Man, uh, who, who made it huge, Barry. I, no, uh, I you know I cannot remember his name. Not Barry he Hall. He looked like Mil- Milton the Monster. Yeah, yeah. Barry. Um, Barry Hall. Barry, Barry Hall. Hall. Yeah, Saying, yeah. I, I'm thinking of you. You're thinking that's of right. him. And uh, a recent tribunal appearance. No, it's not, not the same <laughs> one. But uh, that's right. And that was produced by Red Simons. Um, and he, he sort of had a minor hit with that. Yeah. 
And there was another guy who came on and sang, Only you can make this. And what about Bike Boy? Bike Boy came on. He was very popular. He was so popular, he featured in Hey Hey at Cinderella, the pantomime we did at the Palais um, in about 1994 or five. What did Bike Boy do? Bike Boy came on. He was like one of those BMX experts. He'd jump stuff and he'd ride with no hands and he'd turn the thing upside down, yet he was able to magically control the bike so that it could still ride on one wheel. It was, oh, you know, all that stuff that they do when they pivot and they have those special foot pegs. And Bike Boy, Bike Boy, Bike Boy, Bike Boy, (laughs) we would all chant as he transfixed and mesmerised the audience. I think you. from there he uh, set up a gang and they took over the city square and that's why they had to shut down the city oh, square. Oh, <laughs> Nicole Kidman was, uh, was, she was, was part, of that, part of that gang. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, now, you were talking about, uh, you know, Daryl would say, come on down to, to the studios if that's you right. look, like, look like someone. Do you remember a show called Catch Us If You Can? Uh, yes, I do. Vaguely. It was a, a Channel that 7. Was seven? It was yeah. a Channel uh, 7 did show. Did they Terpy host that? Uh, I think Ian Tuffy maybe did the voiceover for it. I think Shirley Strawn was on it. Uh, I think there was a, a kid who was in, like, Secret Valley and then was in a Channel 9 show called Kings, uh, who was also one, one of the hosts uh, <laughs> from it. Uh, and, uh, and this was a, a Channel 7 show, and they would be, like, at a local park somewhere, somewhere in Australia... And it was a live show and they would say, come on down to this local park and perform this trick for us and you'll win a T-shirt or you could win 50 bucks or something like that. And they would get heaps of people coming down. That's right. I I, I could never... A, how people could could mobilise that quickly for such a crap prize. (laughs) Uh, And just to to get on telly, like, it really really spoke of a, a much more innocent time. I don't think you could... I don't think you could do that these days. Oh, that's what it was. Get down to this park and then search through this bucket of mud or all of this jelly or something for a key. There are six keys. One of those keys will open, will open the, the door to the car. That's right. And uh, and then they would also finish the show with this box that you went into that would... Uh, you'd go on... The, had this, the blowing money the box. The blowing money box. And it would it would blow money all around, and you would be in this jumpsuit that had no pockets, and uh, you would have to try to grab as much cash as you could. So it it was a, more than one element borrowed from six or seven different yes. appalling television shows, yes. all mixed into one yes. really appalling television show. Which Channel Seven. Had no shame in repeating and repeating and repeating. <laughs> With even notices though, saying, saying, this is not real. This is not real. This is no longer live. You cannot win this prize. But they would definitely just repeat it, even though the whole premise of the show was that it was live. Gee whiz. No shame at all. Speaking of that uh, kind of subtitle, uh, they had something similar to that on Top Gear, um, where they'd, they'd already found hang on, their... Hang on. Will, but... but Every week, Brett Brett goes on and on and on about how SBS are showing old episodes of Top Gear that mm-hmm. they have never shown before. Mm-hmm. So these are first run in Australia episodes right. of Top Gear. But, but have but you watched Brett Top has, Gear? Yeah, Top Gear classic. Can you? Is, is it? Yeah, can, yeah. Can you see? Can you see Brett's bonnet? You, you see Brett's bonnet. He has a B in that bonnet, Wilbur. But you can see <laughs> the difference. You, you know the, the more current ones, even though they're two years old. They, they look beautiful. They're spending a million quid per episode making the, the latest Top Gears. 
and and they they're fi- extremely not li- tell me not literally literally really yeah gee that's Plus that's production that's production values isn't you know, it they, they, and now SBS is showing these vintage top gears and they look like crap they look like they look like graduates of film school so, so have, what's, what's the subtitle have put it together um what well, it's it, they're looking for uh, Potential hosts, so they they still don't have James May back in the fray. They've got this kind of chubby after his uh, drag uh, racing vehicle. incident. Yeah, no, no, James May's uh, Captain Slow. So it's before he joined. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, the cool. show. J- James May also a uh, lead guitarist of Queen. Yes, different James May though. <laughs> Brian that was Brian May, May. Uh, <laughs> the, Brian the guy, May. the guy who used to run the ABC show band. Oh, and I was, I was, I was thinking the uh, lead singer of Uncanny X Men. Brian Mannix. That's right, yes. What is this? Word Association Football? <laughs> so last week, last week we had, uh, 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 as well as the subtitle, don't, uh, we've found our, our host or whatever. Um, last week uh, they, they had the, the board of cool. So they, they've got from cool to, to crap. Yep. Um, and, and Jeremy just goes up and sticks the cars on. And he says, as, we, as you saw last week, we launched this. This week, they're launching the cool board. SBS aren't even showing them in order. Oh, they're out of order. Yeah, out of order. SBS are out of order. Who's the this guy in charge of SBS? Of the uh, top Sean gear Brown. section, Sean Brown. Sean, so Sean Brown is. Uh, See, uh, I think it's a conspiracy. I think that SBS is screwing with Top Gear fans, so that when they bring in their local Australian version of Top Gear and it looks like crap, they're not too disappointed. They're just they're just lowering expectations. Would they have SBS the current episodes of Top Gear though? Have they bought them? Have they? You know? Oh yeah, they, they've got the rights to show them. They've del- uh, they have them. So, see, yeah, so they've got them up in the you know they've got them up in the studio there or you know yeah the yeah room. they're, they're yeah, okay. yeah they're, right, okay. they're so, in a cupboard somewhere. The local version, Cropley, you mentioned, uh, is hosted by whom? Do we know yet? There's, there's still a, still a mystery for hosts. The last we heard, they're still looking for hosts. Apparently. Not enough talent in Australia to, to pull from. Not enough no, people. No, no, no. Well, not, not enough talent who are willing who to like burn cars. their bridges with, with cars, who, who can be completely um, open with what they think of the cars. And, yeah, you know, we don't have that many cars made here. What are they going to talk about? The, well, so, Top, Gear, Top Gear don't only talk about cars made in the UK, Brett. They talk about cars available in the UK or the world. Exactly. So why not so, just show Top Gear? Why do we need... B grade hosts on a B grade shot because Sean Brown doesn't have him. a clue. True, I think you know we, we've established that long time ago. Will he's, never gonna, he's never going to employ me. That's for sure. Will the production values run to uh, you know um, doing burnouts in a three quarter of a million dollar Bentley? Do you think or I, d- I doubt it. That's right. I mean, you know, the, the dealerships aren't going to be too happy to be lending those sort of cars or anything. You know, no. Where no, are we going to no. take them? We're just going to do some uh, hot laps at Calder in a, uh, you know, um, I don't know, Mitsubishi 380. And how, how many articles can they do about how much fun it is to drive a four-wheel drive on Fraser Island? <laughs> you know? That's- how many times can they rope off uh, 10 miles of the Nullarbor? Eight. Eight miles? No, no, eight times. Eight times. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's before there's, uh, there's an uprising. Um, uh, Qu- quickly, quickly. Quickly. I just thought I'd mention that um, I've actually jumped on board with the uh, portable media player recently. Picked up myself. Right. Picked up myself uh, the X20 uh, from iRiver, which Ooh, is the 8 con- gig. Controversy, iRiver. So, eight, 8 gig? 8 gig. 
It's not very much. Uh, with FM Tuner. Right. Uh, you can record the FM with a, uh, a line-in line recorder and a voice recorder microphone, as well as playing MP3s and videos. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know why he's telling us either. I got that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Bricked it. Really? Got another one? Bricked it. Are you, try, are you trying to... Not trying You're not all. trying to hack not it? Not trying. The first time I was uh, using their software on my computer to check the firmware was up to date, and uh, it bricked at that point. Second time it was plugged in, I turned my computer off and uh, tried to turn it on, and nothing. You nothing know, I at all. I, I don't want to get started on this, but I've never had a problem with my iPod. I've never had a problem like that with apparently. my iPod. And, 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 and apparently, apparently uh, JB have sold heaps and heaps of them. And, of, and of the iRivers. Uh, yeah. yeah, you know, JB, although, although don't, they, don't get me started really, on JB never, Hi-Fi. Because you know, you know I've had some terrible experiences with them lately. Yeah. I, I had great experiences. When I, I went to buy a, a DVD player. I wanted to buy a DivX DVD player, Will. Cool. Because uh, I get a lot of stuff from, from the internet that, that I want to watch. A lot of it's in AVI format and it needs a DivX player to, to be able to play. Uh, and I wanted a good one. I wanted a quality product. I went for Pioneer because they have an excellent reputation. Mm-hmm. And I was told, yes, this will play uh, full range of DivX videos, no problem at all. I get it home. It doesn't. The, the videos are jumpy. I go back to JB Hi-Fi and I have five different... Well, no. Okay. Not five, but three different salespeople tell me uh, I've got that. My mate's got that. I watched exactly what you watched the other day. No problem. Nothing at all. Uh, basically, just trying to refute my experience as uh, as a customer. Mm-hmm. They told me, it must just be that particular player. Take another one. Just do a straight swap. Take another one. Go home. So, I did that. Went home. Plugged it in again. Put, the, put exactly the same uh, show in. And tried it, and it was jumpy. And I, I tried it with five or six different discs, discs uh, that were burnt on on different burners, yep. uh, all different sorts. of I would files. expect that of you, Josh. Yeah, I'm, I'm thorough. Yeah, I'm thorough. Methodical. The, uh, uh, and just the the same problem over and over and over again. Uh, so in this box, not in the first box, but in this box, there is a phone number for Pioneer, and uh, I call them up. And speak to the the very helpful guy on the phone, and I say, I bought this particular DVD player, and it's not playing, and it's it's not playing properly. And he says, of course it's not. Our player doesn't play that stuff. Sorry, saying that that their player doesn't play that the, stuff. Their player their player doesn't play that stuff. It it plays a very small range of uh, of DivX stuff, mostly uh, to to match what the Pioneer cameras would would produce. Uh, so if you're if you've got a pioneer video camera, uh, make video cameras or, or something. I don't know. Whatever. There's a very small range of uh, of, of DivX stuff that they will produce, mm-hmm. and there is a pioneer product that will play the full range of DivX stuff, but not that one. But not that one. And this one is 150 dollars more. So I went back to JB Hi-Fi to tell them about this, and uh, and. They were all going, oh, how dare you come here and accuse us of telling you the wrong thing? How d- we tell you what Pioneer tell us. They shouldn't be telling you the other... Blah, 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 blah. And, and just suddenly it was all my fault. Mm, mm, they, mm. So I've had 
that's that's one of a few bad experiences I've had with uh, with JB Hi-Fi recently. I uh, I couldn't have been had an easier time getting replacements on on the two completely non-functioning iRivers. Uh, but they'll they'll replace it for the same thing. For the same thing the first time, uh, in and out in ten minutes, um, and then I went in on Sunday, high traffic time, and uh, went for the Creative Zen eight gig. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the the features not. The, as good as the I River, um, but uh, fifteen minutes in and out. See, easy as. Never, never I'll had. Let's know how the Zen goes. By the way, if if people are looking for uh, for for a good uh, DivX player, I did end up getting a much cheaper, about half the price of the original Pioneer that I was looking at, an LG, yeah. LG that had the the full range, no problem at all. So it's got network about, in. It doesn't have network in. Right. Uh, but USB it, in? Uh, no. It's got to be on disc. It, it has to be on disc, but it was only 80 bucks. Hey, fair enough. So, you know, that's, that's really what I'm talking about. It plays it, and it plays it well. And uh, anyway, that's my... Uh, that's, I, I don't I usually go on like that. when I've converted DivX files just to straight DVD that the quality is sensational. Which is into the uh, MPEG-2 format. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, burn them up in Nero. Yeah. I, you know. It uh, takes you know, it takes me you know, like uh, it takes me forty minutes or something like that. I just go and open a bottle of red wine and watch four corners off the uh, set top box. Come back and you've got a couple of episodes of Burn Notice. All right. <laughs> <laughs> now, what what was the deal with Burn Notice? Burn Notice has finished on Channel Ten here. Did, did they actually get to the end of the season? Not uh, sure. Last night? No, not not in the US. I don't think they did. Oh, so it was axed in the US. I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay, wasn't just a writer strike thing because we both really enjoyed it. Oh, Burn Notice sensational. I mean, we were talking about Chuck before. Chuck, you know, certainly in its own its own little uh, basket there. Very enjoyable and very cutesy. And uh, I think Burn Notice just had that uh, little bit of... I don't know whether it was the uh, the Sobe, the South Beach Miami thing, but uh, just had that sort of sophistication about it. You know? Right. I, I never saw it. Ah, Burn Notice. I never show. saw it. Uh, now, now, Wilbur, we are running out of time, but... How do you deal with Brett stalking you so much? <laughs> well, you know how we met. There's, there's a cafe. He was, he was outside your bedroom. <laughs> we, this, the way I understand it, just staring in. No, we, in fact, I was the stalker at first. He was the stalker. Well, I just walked into a cafe, saw this bloke sitting at uh, what would be the equivalent of the big table at Mario's. Mm. You know, where if you sit at the big table at Mario's, you, you know, if you bring something to the table, it doesn't matter who's sitting there. You just sit down and you start talking, right? Yep. Which I kind of presumed was the same deal at the cafe in which we uh, ended up dining, uh, you know, for uh, lunching, I should say, for uh, uh, 18 months or so, and fairly regularly, you know, for at least four out of five days a week. And um, no, that, that was what happened. It was just that sort of thing. It was, hey, g'day, how you going? Yeah, probably. Yeah, well, okay, right. You know, and then and the conversation. I believe it all comes from conversation, which is uh, very much a big part of the reason why I was very happy to come down and uh, and, and fill in for Ross tonight. And I wish Ross and Deirdre, his, uh, his wife, um, the the best of success with uh, the, the the little one yes the, the foundling no the the infantling the infantling uh, the infant uh, and yeah we, we we can't wait for but the, it all the comes from conversation it's right I mean. I've learned a lot tonight and uh, I've been glad to have uh, sat around and contributed to the uh, box cutters one twenty eight episode we would love to have you back yeah, yeah sure we we would really love to right, have you back on uh, one twenty eight uh, yeah. make it two fifty six 
<laughs> or five twelve. Whichever. whichever you only, yeah, you only work in binary. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's it. That's, we were talking about John Stamos and 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 drummers before and double set. That's drummers really only work in binary too. Hit, don't hit. Hit, don't hit. Hit, don't hit. <laughs> Uh, our guest today was the excellent Wilbur Wilde. Still is. And I want to say thanks to Crumpler, our giveaway sponsors, uh, for giving us oh. stuff to give away to, to listeners and to guests, Wilbur. <gasps> In a very kind of uh, sports world, Hutton's free frank uh, oh, gift what a basket. Well, fantastic. Look There's at the, that. Uh, the Crumpler. What have I given you there? The, the, it's camouflage. I can't see it. <laughs> it's it's, it's <laughs> a little sticker. There, there it is. Sporty oh, it's boy. The sp- sporty guy. The, the crumpler sporty guy. And, Fantastic. Uh, and some Ernest Hillier chocolates. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> the Hutton's Ham from Big Uncle Doug Elliott. How did you get him in here? He's been dead for years. <laughs> I also want to say thanks to 3RRR, our studios that we use for recording this podcast. Are their studios? Be good to them. April Amnesty is on at the moment. If you are not a subscriber of 3RRR and you wish to subscribe, like... Wilbur Wilde is doing. In fact, I have already done it during the uh, show today. I've actually subscribed as a passionate subscriber, and I reckon that's cheap at $110. And Wilbur Wilde is now, and, and look, remiss of me not to do it before now, but I'm subscribing to Triple R again. Fantastic. Awesome. Uh, also, I uh, took a browse through their website over the week um, with my new portable MP3 player, and uh, they've got some good podcasts on there, including uh, Comedy Obscura, which Jerry McCulloch is involved with. Yes. Um, and a number of uh, shows that uh, go to air the podcast version thereof and uh, podcast-only shows. If you're into wine, check out Plonk. And uh, if you like this podcast, you can go into the iTunes Music Store and leave a review for us on the Box Cutters page. Uh, it will help other people find this podcast and they will enjoy it too. And or download it, burn it off, give it to your mama, give it to your papa. It's a lovely thing to do. It's, it's, a, great, it's a great gift. Great gift for Anzac Day, I think. Fantastic be, uh, Anzac yeah, Day gift. Yeah, bo- box cutters I'm on always a scratching my head about what to get people for Anzac Day. The, you know? the diggers, they loved this show. Yeah. They really did. They, they loved this show. Until next week. Oh, if you have a quiz question, uh, hooray at boxcutters.net and also any emails, hooray at boxcutters.net and go on to boxcutters.net to leave a comment on the blog until next week. Nobody told us what happened in Neighbours or was it Home and Away? Home uh, and Away. Home and away. Milko. Yeah. yeah. What, what is the story with Milko? Tell us. Hooray at boxcutters.net. Until next week, my name is Josh Canal. Wilbur Wild has uh, been a guest. I continue to be Brett Cropley. Thanks for listening to Boxcutters. Catch us again next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. And hey, let's be careful out there. Thank you.